Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. If you're planning a meeting, conference, or special event in Missoula, consider the Wingate by Wyndham. Our event space is comfortable and flexible. Whether you need an intimate boardroom meeting or a conference war 100, Missoula's Wingate is the perfect fit. Our audio-visual equipment, upgraded internet, and flexible food and beverage policies allow you to put on an impressive show without breaking the bank. Call us at Missoula's Wingate, where we make you feel at home when you're not. Coulter, um, okay, we got a lot to cover here. A couple new guys inductees into the in the MLB Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, also, Felix Hernandez maybe trying not to be done pitching. Okay, interesting. But we want to start with what is the worst way to win a championship. Now we've been following right this whole fiasco of the the cheating and the sign stealing with you know cameras and potentially buzzers and banging on garbage cans and the whole thing and already three managers or, or managers to be lost their job uh lunau the general manager of the houston uh, uh astros lost his job so it's been a big deal uh at the major league baseball level and there are some who are uh la city specifically uh, wanting MLB, Major League Baseball, to retroactively award the Los Angeles Dodgers the 2017 and 2018 World Series. Now, I'm not going to sit here and argue about the minutia of which year, whatever, whatever, but let's say 2017 because that's the year that they played the Houston Astros, okay, when this whole thing was supposedly at its peak or whatever. Um, first of all, Coulter, your just immediate reaction to that. Well, I think the vacated championships are the stupidest thing in the world. Right. Because it happened, and I don't really care how or why it happened. So would that be the worst way to, quote, win a World Series? No, you didn't win it. 
Would that be the worst way to be awarded a World Series? If they vacate the titles from the Astros, then no one won the World Series. Then. I'm not asking you what you think should happen. I'm well, asking I, you I if mean, this is happened. that a real proposal? They're going to give the LA Dodgers a World Series trophy? This this is just a group. No, they're not going to give them a World Series trophy. It's merely a talking point. What we do here is a sports talk radio show, and we look for things with which to banter about. And this is one such thing. There is no bad way to win a championship because you won a championship. This is not winning a championship, so there isn't. Okay, but that's the point, is then that would be a bad way to win a championship. If you didn't, in fact, win it and then got the trophy and the rings and the ceremony and the parade anyway, two years after the fact. Here's one for you. Here's one for you, okay? The 2015 U.S. Open. Do you remember what happened there? Chambers Bay, Washington. Remind me. Jordan Spieth is tied. No, excuse me. He is down. No, he's tied. He's tied. I believe this is right. With uh, Dustin Johnson. Yeah. He's in the clubhouse. DJ comes up 18. Has a 12-footer for birdie in the championship. Misses. And then misses the comebacker to lose it. Now, look. This is not. This has nothing to do with whether it was legit or not. Hundred percent legit. The U.S. Open victory that Jordan Spieth got, but you don't want a, the guy to miss the bunny to win the thing, and you're not even on the course anymore. You know, right? I mean, that's just one. That's an example of it actually playing out. That's a bad way to go. I. There have been, by the way, gold medals. You would talk about cheating and stuff like that. Who was the the famous uh, sprinter from ben Canada? Johnson. Ben Johnson. Nineteen ninety nine. Loses his gold medal because he was, you know, could, you know, they they drug tested him and he was, and then what did they do? They don't just leave the gold medal out. The gold medal goes to second place, goes right. to the next person. So where are you at on that, Mister? They didn't win it on the on the track, man. It, it's here's my thing with cheating in sports. <laughs> do it is is you know <laughs> hear me hear me out here though. There's been many cases throughout the 20th and 21st century of people getting caught cheating in sports. The part that I have the hardest time with is delineating between people that we know cheated, people that we know didn't cheat, and there's probably a whole bunch of people that cheated that didn't get caught. Right. That's the hardest part. If you believe the book Game of Shadows... And you believe everything that that went down. I reference this all the time, but it's, they have to have doubled their sales. Because I just talk I, about Game I talk of Shadows about every other day on this show. It's honestly, in terms of my sports life, it was one of the most impactful things that's ever happened to me. I picked up that book, I read the whole thing. Barry Bonds was my favorite player, and I hated baseball when I was done with it. But then I started thinking the, the number one conflict I have with all of it is we. We think we know for certain all these guys that took steroids. Well, in some cases we do, right? Totally. Okay. The guys that failed drug tests or guys that were wrapped up in the Balco scandal or whatever it might be. Guys who have admitted to it. The guys who admitted to it in front of Congress, denied it in front of Congress, whatever it might be. But then there's a whole bunch of other guys that weren't wrapped up in that, that were great players that we just, we want to believe weren't cheating, but we actually don't really know. That's right. How many guys that were just middle of the road pitchers you know, middle relievers for other National League West teams that were juicing. Did Barry Bonds hit 
home runs off of. There's no way to know. Sure. But I guarantee you it happened. Of course. So then how do you, if Barry Bonds who's taking steroids and you're saying the only reason he's hitting home runs is he's taking steroids, if he's hitting it off of guys that are taking steroids, then is that a wash? I mean, does the home run then go back to counting like a real home run? I don't know. And so that's the whole thing is Ben Johnson failed the, the test in 1988 at the Seoul Olympics, the, the Olympics in Seoul, Korea. Yep. One of the most famous doping scandals of all time. That's right. First guy to ever break 9.8 seconds in the 100 meters. I mean, there's the famous 30 for 30 documentary, which I think is one of the great ones that they ever did. 979 with the asterisk, right? But the drugs are always ahead of the test. So when it comes to doping, what if Ben Johnson was just taking the wrong drugs, but the guys he was running against were taking drugs, they just didn't fail the test. Here's the thing. In any scenario, anywhere at all, you can create hypothetical situations and unknowns in which you could just say, you know, we well, we just can't possibly know. And, okay, that's fine, but that's really easy to come by. Like, you could just create a scenario in which actually the guy who took second was cheating. We just didn't know it. But we don't know. And also, maybe there's good reason to think that he was not. Right, that it, that he in fact didn't get busted for drugs after taking the same drug test that Ben Johnson took. So you can you can talk to me all day about we don't know how many pitchers, for instance, Barry Bonds hit home runs off of who were also themselves, you know, on steroids. Okay, but I mean, I that doesn't hold particular sway with me. All we know is what we know. It's just such a deeper thing when it comes to doping, because if you are blood doping and cycling or you are taking HGH in baseball or whatever, it, it really does. It gives you such a huge advantage. But then as a competitor, as someone that is elite at your sport and you have no physical possible way to compete, cycling is the greatest example. Say you're one of the 15 best cyclists in the world. You're the number one guy on your team. But the guys that are ahead of you are blood doping. You will never catch them. Never. You cannot. Yes. So then, therefore, if you want to be competitive, it's my presumption that anybody that wants to be competitive in those sports is forced to do it almost. Right. So then, but then, isn't the playing field level again if everybody's doping? Of course. But but you're talking about something where we have pretty good evidence that nearly the entire field is. And... There's always going to be something untoward or unethical or, you know, unpleasant about this idea of whether even if everybody's doing it, you're still cheating. Like you're still doing what's against the rules. And that goes against people's, you know, consciences, ethics or whatever, regardless of how you're doing it. And even if you took last place, but you're not the one who did it, then so be it. You know, that's that's what I'm saying. Two tell new one is one oh two nine ESPN radio. But. I think that that you know, it the bite the cycling thing is sort of unique because it's the only one I'm aware of where you go. Well, yeah, that's all of them. Let's go to the phones real quick. Gio wants to get on board on this. Gio, what's going on? Hey, man. So uh, I was just listening. So like, it's just really interesting. You know, we talk about cheating. Is it fair? Who do you think? And then you know, you brought up the Olympics with Ben Johnson. And then if you actually look at the, um, uh, if you actually watch that documentary, Bigger, Faster, Stronger. Um, that's on Netflix. Great documentary. Talks about steroids, talks about juicing, all these different things. And then it's just escaping right now. But who was awarded the gold medal after Ben Johnson was pulled? Second place person, not Sue. We'll look it yeah, up. We'll person. look it up. Yeah. Anyway, he was he was our he was Olympic. He was uh, he was our he was our darling. Anyway, he also tested positive later. And so but the thing is is that he didn't have the advertising pushing and all these things. 
And so, you know, it gets to be this like, well, who was more guilty? Who was guilty first? Mm. Um, and so it all just kind of gets a little muddled, to be honest. I mean, so, and it is like to Coulter's point, is like, well, he hit a, you know, if Barry Bonds hit a juice ball off of a juice pitcher and he was doing it's like, you know, is this fair? Um, and the whole thing, honestly, just gets, it just gets really muddled. Um, you know, everyone, like you said, you know, everyone's just looking for an edge. And, you know, we, we want that. We want to see that pushing. We want to see those things happen. You know, whether it's guys lining up on the sidelines on kickoffs to, you know, knock a guy down for getting pushed out or, you know, whether it's filming the sidelines, you know, all these different things. And I guess it's just a bigger idea of that, you know, do we, do we want success that much at the purity of our sport or do we just want to see home runs, big runs? And dunks. So, yeah, it's it's it, it is, and and you bring up a number of good points, Gio. As always, thanks, my man. Appreciate it. And and the the thing to me, Coulter, is one of the things that's unique about sports. Is one of the I, I think that one of the things that people love about sports is the quote unquote objectivity of it. You got winners and right. you got losers at the end of the day. I mean, that's what you love about track and field, right? Just tell me your give me your numbers. That's it. Exactly. The the thing that I think is so. Uh, that I don't know why more people ha- don't start just like, I don't know if you can, even if you don't like it, I think you're forced to accept it. You are never going to get to a point where, where you're going to have an uncontroversial decision all the time. Right. Like nobody here today is arguing that the Green Bay Packers should be in the Super Bowl. Okay. That's fine. That's great in that instance. But you are never, you are always forever going to have questions, human element, human, whether it's refereeing decisions, whether it's trying to get an edge, what is cheating? Are we all cheating? Are only some of us cheating? And the answers are not going to be there. And it is going to be, as you said, muddled. I mean, it's just going to be muddled. And the, in within the context of a thing that people want clarity on and want to know for sure, hey, this team, this person was the best. This team, this person, they were the second best. And then all of a sudden, that just all goes away. Like, the the worst part of the baseball thing to me, to come full circle on this, because I don't, this does still doesn't bother me all that much, this, this sign-stealing deal with the trash can and the camera. Um, if, however, it was compromised, the, the 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 what would have happened, you know that's significant. The one tweet I saw that really because this didn't even register with me as a even after the whole scandal broke, guys getting fired. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. The one thing I saw and I forget who it was it was a fellow baseball player though said I would like to tweet my apology to Clayton Kershaw for piling on when he threw yet another ball that was hit out of the park. I didn't know at the time that the guy sitting there knew what pitch was coming. And when you think about this in the context of the individual and Clayton Kershaw, who sat there and said, you know what? Everything that you think you, that you guys think I am is what I am. I, I, I perish in the moment. I am not good in the postseason, and I don't have any answers for why, and I can't tell you any answers. And maybe at some points this has been true, and also maybe at other times, a guy knew that he was about to yank one out of the park on Clayton Kershaw's fastball. You know, and if that in fact took place, that is that is egregious, man. That's not just about the team or whatever. That's you know an individual and his reputation that has been now long standing and got reinforced to a maximum in that moment. So that's the one thing to me where it does give me pause on this. That said, I'm gonna sit here and start handing out rings to the other team. 
You know, it's like the Oscars where they call up the wrong movie and now everybody got to give their golden trophy to the other group right. coming up here. I mean, we going to do this exchange? I don't think so. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do, so I'm on my computer all the time. And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick-and-mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana. They do. They're keeping everybody cyber-secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. Baseball specifically... It, it, it does. It So much of it comes down to the individual and so much of what people love about baseball is being able to compare eras because the, the statistics are so cut and dry. But I also think that that narrative has been pumped home so much that people neglect so much of the history of baseball. I guess what I'm getting at is to say that Barry Bonds had a, such a huge advantage in hitting all of his home runs over Babe Ruth because Babe Ruth did not have steroids at his disposal – I think that's way too broad because when Mark McGuire, this whole steroids can of worms in baseball came about because when Mark McGuire was first playing for the St. Louis Cardinals, he had a bottle of Andro sitting in his locker that everybody could see. And at this moment, Andro, which is like a pre-hormone, so people don't know what pro-hormone, excuse me, a pro-hormone is like a precursor to a steroid. So if you take it, your body turns it into an anabolic substance. So it's not as... Um, intense or as immediately effective as a true anabolic shot. Anabolic shot, but it's still significantly more than eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. I'll tell you that. And but it wasn't cheating at the moment because it wasn't banned yet. And then when the reporter asked him, he said, "Oh yeah, I just take this because it's part of my fitness regimen." And then they started researching the substance. All of a sudden, it becomes banned. All of a sudden, all these it, it, it's revealed that so many different subjects in baseball are taking these things. But I guess what I'm saying is even all the most legal substances that are available on the market are still significant performance enhancers compared to what so many guys had in the past. So to act... Babe Ruth took positive performance degenerators all the time. I mean, there, there, there was <laughs> How many cigars and whiskeys can you have before totally, the Totally, but then there was also like the whole thing in the, in the late 60s and early 70s before amphetamines were made illegal in baseball. People are just greeny meanies. They're just eating speed. If you don't think that that helps you when you're in the batter's box, you're just lying to yourself. All I'm saying is that, have you seen the Ken Burns documentary about baseball? No. It's phenomenal. Didn't watch Aaron Hernandez. It's phenomenal just about the way that it just reveals the history of America through the history of the game. And, and baseball's in a transition point now where it's not necessarily regarded as America's pastime anymore, but it was for 150 plus years. America and baseball were so intertwined. No and the part, though, I think that so many Americans have been in denial of, though, is that 
baseball is cheating and Americans are cheaters and people don't want to admit it, but it's just the truth. And that's what I, I just think when I analyze baseball, I want to analyze it based on eras. And if steroids were a part of that era, that's a part of the history of the game. And rather than thinking this guy did him, this guy didn't, this guy did him, this guy didn't. It was a part of the era. So just analyze the era for what it was. Well, I, I just, I mean, that's nice to say. I have no idea what that means. Like, what do you, you, what you are saying is you have to take it as a whole. But what that does not, see, you can take it as a whole in cycling because it's pretty, pretty clear that basically it is everybody. In baseball, it's very clear that it is a very big split between who did and who didn't. And that's why there is a desire for some sort of adjudication because you do want to make that separation because it's worthwhile because to just say, oh, this was the steroid era. These are the numbers does a huge disservice to the guys who did not use steroids. I guess what I'm saying is even the guys that definitively did not use steroids were almost certainly using some sort of performance-enhancing substances that give them an advantage over people from previous generations. What? I mean, that. so what? Like, that... that, that so that then it draws the what? line of what is cheating. No, because no, I can Because I can find... I could put together a package of 50 supplements that will give you, in totality, better results than anabolic steroids. Bro. Car racing, okay? A hundred years ago, if you were going 61 in a car, you were on the verge of death, okay? And now you got a rocket ship strapped to the back of four wheels and you're hauling off through the sand dunes in Nevada. So to compare eras and go, okay, well, this is a better enhancer with the nitroglycerin on fire than it was with the, you know, the kerosene that they were using in 1907. So what? Like that's... It's merely a progression over time. It's not about cheating as such. And now that this substance or whatever is banned, but it wasn't at that time, that is a matter of of, of just the administration of the game, of the sport. But you're st- we still haven't talked about what it is to have been actively and knowingly cheating for an advantage. Say, a, say that you are... Like, Victor Conti was making substances in his labs and then giving them to athletes almost all these substances were new so there was no way to actually test for them so that's where the gray area comes about to me is that say you ryan tutel are playing first base for the chicago cubs and you start taking sounds great you start taking this substance that's making you superman but it's not banned yet are you cheating because you're performance enhancing Right, but at what point is it cheating? No, no. Performance enhancing is is I think where we're having a hang up here. Performance enhance all and in every way that you possibly can. Like that's the goal to have the most enhanced performance you can, whether that means that you're just eating fish and salad or whether that means you are exercising every single day okay. and not right, doing all right, the things right, you should right, do to your right, body right, or whatever. Right, right, okay. Right. Eating when there's a rule against it. That's right. Totally. What I'm saying is that every performance enhancer that has been infiltrated into the athletics, greater scope of the of athletics, is almost always going to be ahead of any sort of test. So if you're always trying to, you could take quote unquote performance enhancing drugs that are not illegal for all of time if you just take the newest stuff. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, I guess so. I just don't think... I, I, I just think it's so naive to think that every professional athlete's not going to try to get the biggest advantage that they possibly can. Baseball, we have some sort of uh, 
we're trying to maintain the the holy nature of the the history of the game. Why is there no performance enhancing drug talk about the NFL? When's the last time a guy failed a, a drug test for steroids? It happens like maybe five times a Travis, year. Luan did it the four, first four games of Taylor the season. Luan. Taylor, Taylor Luan. Luan. Taylor Luan, yeah, right, for the Titans, yes. I, I guess what I'm saying is, that, man. You're saying that you don't care that guys are taking stuff because you just think it's oh, across the board, and oh, I'm oh, saying no, all, I don't. All I'm saying is that it's not that it's necessarily across the board. It's that you can find – there's just such a gray area – you have to make performance enhancement illegal if you want performance enhancing drugs to go away because you're always going to be able to find something that you can consume that will enhance your performance. So you're not allowed to eat food anymore. What David just said, would you agree with that? If you're breaking a specific rule, that's when it becomes cheating. Sure. Okay. So then if you continue to stay ahead of the curve, you never have to quote unquote cheat. I mean, yes. say you take some sort of blood doping EPO until the day that your sport makes it illegal, and then you go and you say, "What else you got for me that's not in the bylaws?" Let me ask you: here, here, you're talking about testing about stuff, though. Here's my thing: Th- whatever the blood testing EPO is that you've taken, that is that doesn't have a test for, it doesn't mean that it's not illegal to have done it. Okay, I mean the the sure the the genetic altering, the molecular altering of your body to the good using foreign substances like drugs or blood doping or whatever is just cheating. And even if it can go undetected, then 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 all you're doing is beating the system. But that doesn't mean you're not cheating. But that's what I'm saying. No, no, it, it is, isn't. It is that is that what is cheating if you are if you're using things that enhance your performance on a level that you could not attain as a human. But those things are not per se illegal. Then are you cheating? Yeah, if they're not, for uh, the cream and the clear, the stuff that Victor Conti created, that all the baseball players were using, that was not illegal when they were using it under the baseball bylaws. So were they cheating? No. Okay, so then Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame now. No, because he did cheat after it was made illegal, and they said no, you can't do this. Okay, I mean the. the, the you, 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 what your argument just was is that he, in fact, didn't do anything illegal when it was not when it hadn't been outlawed yet. I, I just don't think you're understanding what I'm saying. No, I'm understanding it perfectly. What I also all understand, athletes are going to find all the ways that they can get an edge, regardless of they're going to find ways to cheat without cheating. Yes, guys are going to South America and Europe that have different procedures done that aren't available in America. They're spending tons of LeBron James has a one million dollar a year food and health regiment that he's on to find every edge that he possibly can and you should. That's the point of it to maximize what your capabilities are. There's also laws and bylaws and various rules that govern all of this stuff and there's new ones created all the time and you have to abide by the ones that exist while they're there. That's it. And if you find a new banana that lets you grow a giant tricep in the middle of the Amazon jungle and it hasn't been made wrong yet, then have at it. That's it. You find the magic banana, you hit 100 home runs, it will be illegal. Did you cheat or not? First of all, it won't be illegal. It's a magic banana. You know, guests, the Wingate by Wyndham is the Missoula Hotel that truly offers something for everybody. No doubt. It's conveniently located near the airport, easy for when your friends come to visit you. And you know, of course, my favorite, water slides. That's right. They got an awesome water park with a sweet water slide that's perfect for families, groups, and birthday parties. 
With the Wingate, they also have a terrific business travel rate, large meeting spaces for you and your clients, and one of the best rewards programs you'll find anywhere. Talk to me about breakfast. They're not messing around with the Continental. They got the full breakfast spread, man. That's what I'm talking about. I need that. They got you covered there as well. Just down the road from the Missoula Airport, the location is quiet and convenient. The parking is ample and free, and the staff genuinely cares about taking care of their guests. The Wingate is at 5252 Airway Boulevard. You can also call. Very simple, easily memorizable number, 541-8000. That's 541-8000. The best hotel at the best spot for a hotel near the airport. Let the Wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home even when you're not. Tonight, episode two of Grizz Greats, the coaching tree coming out. Mike Montgomery. Um... I think you'd probably say, Colt, I mean, the most accomplished coach. He's obviously maybe had the most time of anybody uh, on the coaching tree, uh, more or less, to, to, to have a career in the field. But Mike Montgomery, the head coach of the Grizzlies for eight seasons. He was also an assistant coach for two more years prior to that. Went on to be the head coach at Stanford. Had an unbelievable run there. Went to a Final Four. Coached in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors for a couple of years. Was the head coach at Cal. Travis DeCure was on his coaching staff there at Berkeley uh, uh, while he was there. So both accomplished in his own right and also certainly one of the keys. Uh, and and I think Travis DeCure, frankly, credited him almost explicitly with being the guy that kept the tree going by grafting in other Montana guys into areas where they could come back and, uh, you know, and be head coaches at, at the University of Montana and elsewhere. In any case, episode two with Mike Montgomery, our conversation with him is going to be out later on this evening. We're really looking forward to bringing you that, but wanted to get you ready for it. Wet your, wet your appetite with a little sound from that thing right here, right now. But Coulter, when you think about Mike Montgomery and all the things that he did, I mean, he's Judd Heathcote's the godfather, but Mike Montgomery is maybe the grandfather of the whole of the whole coaching tree, and it actually might even be the opposite, right? Like Jerry Heathcote yeah, might maybe. be the grandfather, and, yeah. and Mike Montgomery might be the godfather because he's the one moving the pieces. He's kind of the the the, the tie that binds all of these Everybody, guys, right? Mike Montgomery is such an interesting analysis because Mike Montgomery, first of all, deserves so much credit for sort of taking that foundation that Judd Heathcote built and then elevating it in the eighties and recruiting great players like Derek Pope and Larry Kristoviak and Wayne Tinkle to University of Montana. And that's what kind of helped this whole coaching tree exist to this day. Montgomery also is remembered around here as somebody that got the Grizz right to the doorstep, but never could punch the door down to get to the NCAA tournament. But everybody that we talked to, I thought it was so revelatory talking to guys about how detail oriented Mike Montgomery was. And a lot of times when we remember guys retrospectively, you take it in total. And when Mike Montgomery had Stanford rolling and they were, they, I mean, they went to, I think two final fours, they were consistently a sweet 16 team, they had great players and, and they were a great program, but it's easy to forget that Stanford was not a great program before Mike Montgomery took it over. And sometimes actually oftentimes in college athletics, it's the harmony between the guy and the place. And I think Mike Montgomery had good harmony here, and he's helped continue that and made this place great. But I think that his perfect job was at Stanford mm. because of his preparation, because of his ability to get guys that wanted to grind but also could handle very, very complex scouting reports and game plans and things like that. And so it's been very cool to watch him grow because 
that's what's so amazing about this whole podcast series is how almost every single one of these guys had great success here, but also had even more success at more challenging places. And that's the whole point, though. Yeah. Like Blaine Taylor always says, they're not more challenging places. They're actually less challenging than Montana, <laughs> and that's why we all had success. Uh, Grizz Greats, the Coaching Tree podcast, is brought to us by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot is building a high-capacity fiber network to connect businesses and homes to the world. Visit goblackfoot.com for more information. It's also brought to us by our friends at Berkshire Hathaway. Mike Nugent, as well as Mike and Gary Bryan, the Bryan team, Berkshire Hathaway, they pride themselves on providing the community of Western Montana with full-time real estate professionals who are here for you whenever you need them. Their reputation as the state's most knowledgeable and available real estate group has helped them build unmasked, unmatched trust in the Garden City and around the Treasure State. Mike Nugent, Mike Bryan, and Gary Bryan, all proud supporters of University of Montana men's basketball. Here you go. A couple minutes of our forthcoming podcast episode with Mike Montgomery. You told us a little bit about the Big Sky Conference and the landscape of the league in the 70s, but in the 80s, Michael Ray Richardson, obviously one of the defining figures in the Big Sky Conference. Derek Pope, another great player in Montana. But what else do you remember about the league? Who were some of the powers at the time? Who were maybe your guys' toughest games uh, when you were the head coach in Montana? Well, we were states. The league was, was really good at that time. You know, you had Reno. You had Boise, obviously. Yeah. You had Idaho. And so the league was good. I mean, there were some really good teams. And I think that probably the one team that was always the constant was Montana. But, you know, Weber State, Neil McCarthy, they were very good. They were always at the top. Seemed like for a while we were always battling with Weber State. Then Don Munson got in there at Idaho, and he had a really good run. They were ranked the top ten at one juncture. And we seem like we battled them. And then Sonny Allen comes in down at Reno. And, of course, they're going to be able to recruit a little different player down there than the big sky was used to. So it was it, it was a really good basketball league. It was hard to win. And then that trip to northern Arizona was always really, really tough. The stories trying to get up to Flagstaff in the wintertime and stuff was, was always kind of an adventure a little bit. But it was a good league, and uh, now it's changed a little bit. They've added a lot of different schools in there. I see Idaho's back in there, which is good. Weber continues to be good with Randy Ray. But I would say that Reno probably was a place that, because of the nature of where that school was and, and the type of kids that Sonny recruited, they, they got to be pretty good there for a while. A couple other players that you recruited and played for you that are pertinent to this, uh, a couple of big guys, Larry Krasoviak and Wayne Tinkle, of course, and... When you brought those guys in, first of all, what were they like as people and as players at that time? But also, were they kind of on your radar as, hey, down the line, these could be some future coaches, whether at Montana or elsewhere, that that might be something that they'd end up doing? Because obviously they're tremendous basketball talents. Their careers speak for themselves. But did you see that over the course of your time with them when you were coaching them? You know, not really. I had Wayne just for a year. Wayne had a great basketball mind. You know, he big guy, great hands. But Chris Gall was a guy that we earmarked early on, and if people would have known how good he was or how good he was going to be, they, he'd been recruited by everybody in the country. As it was, Washington State, I think, gave him a look-see. Wyoming tried to recruit him a little, but he wasn't highly recruited. But when he came down and moved to Missoula, lived with his brother there, played at Sentinel High School, Bill Langless was the coach, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. Larry was a six seven, maybe 195 tough guy and hard worker and the kind of guy that we always won with, the kind of guy we wanted to recruit, Montana kid that loved the game and 
going to give you everything you had. Well, and he grew, and he got really, really strong and physical, and he's dominated the league. I mean, you got him the ball inside, and he was going to score it or make you pay for it. You know, and then he went full circle. He he got out and he played the league for a number of years. And when you're around basketball that long, married a gal that had played basketball, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, I think, Jan, and he got back in it and uh, was assistant in the NBA for a while and then came back to Montana and did a great job. And he's done a great job at Utah and Wayne's done a great job at Oregon State. So it's fun to watch those guys. I mean, it really is. And when I go to practice, they're using the same terminology. You can see them do the same drills. And every once in a while, they'll make a comment that I had made 35 years ago. And you'll just chuckle, you know, because that stuff sticks with you when you're young. Something about something a guy did or didn't do, and you get on him in a certain way, and you'll kind of laugh. And, you know, you feel good because they remembered something or it stuck with them uh, when you said it. Coach, I want to just ask you sort of a, a broad question about your time at Montana because you had talked about, you know, hey, you know, the kids would run downtown. Didn't seem like guys got in too much trouble. You had a great friend, you know, group that you were with with some coaches and so forth. But what was it like to be a young head coach in Missoula, Montana in the late 70s and early 80s? Like Robin Selvig did, a guy could have stayed there forever. It, it's just you would have worn out your welcome because basketball was so important there that eventually you were going to stumble. And, you know, that's gotten to be sort of the nature of the beast. But it was a simpler time. And I'll, I'll say this, even though I've lived in California now quite a while now, when I first got to Boise, Boise was a place that it hadn't been sullied by everybody moving north. It was a place where if you did something wrong, maybe in terms of took a left turn when you weren't supposed to, cop might stop you and say, hey, you know, come on now, you can't do that. And you know, in fact, I had a guy put a dot in the back of my driver's license and say, if we catch you again, we're going to give you a ticket, you know. And that, that was the kind of thing you just didn't ever see happen. And now, of course, as everybody's moved north. They call it Californiation or whatever they call it, you know, where <laughs> everybody's moved north and taken up all the really nice properties and the values up there have changed. And I think Montana was just an outpost where you could, you know, it was a $5 speeding ticket. Uh, nobody got too concerned. You could actually not to mention or promote my, Mike Larson's bar, but you could actually go to Starkman's Bar and Grill and, you know, after work and have a beer to the lawyers, the doctors, the judges were all there. And then it sort of transitioned as the students started to come in and the younger group, kind of, you know, the older guys would move out. And it just was everything fit. Everything worked. It was a great time. And I just, it's gotten to be more difficult for sure. So, it was a good place for me to be for sure. And as I said, there's no real reason to want to leave uh, town. It got small a little bit, you know, where you'd done about what you could do. And, and you knew that at some point they were going to be unhappy with you. And, and then you get an opportunity to go to Stanford, a place like Stanford. That just didn't happen out of the Big Sky Conference. So I, I was very fortunate to have that happen. But I loved every minute of it in Missoula. I got a lot of people that are still great friends. I don't see them all that much, but I was at uh, Robin Selvig's son's wedding uh, in Half Moon Bay, and there was a lot of guys that came down and attended the wedding. It was just like just like old times. Mike Montgomery joining us on the 
Grizz Greats Coaching Tree Podcast. It was a blast to talk to him. Certainly appreciate his time, and uh, it's a great episode. Encourage everybody to go listen to it. You search the Grizz Greats. Search Grizz Greats, okay? It's not going to just come up with Tutel and Nuanas necessarily. It'll be maybe in the same vicinity, but just search Grizz Greats when you're out there in your uh, podcast landscapes, and it'll come up for you, and you will uh, listen away and uh, and enjoy it. It was a real uh, treat to do all of these, and, uh, and we are looking forward to releasing Mike Montgomery who, uh, again, really uh, the godfather, perhaps, of the uh, Montana men's basketball coaching tree. We'll also have a bonus episode for you later in the week. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do, so I'm on my computer all the time. And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick-and-mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana. They do. They're keeping everybody cyber secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. There was a proposed rule change actually coming into this season that was rejected, but they're going to play with it. So the... The success rate of onside kicks have gone down dramatically. Uh, like, I mean, we were like well under 10%, right? It's like 6 or 7%, something like that, maybe 8 In any case, there is a uh, proposal that will be sort of given a dry run in the uh, Pro Bowl here where after a team scores a touchdown, they have one opportunity over the course, or, or field goal, have one opportunity over the course of a game to attempt a 4th and 15 from their own 35-yard line. What is effectively, it's a one play, you got to pick up 15 yards, it's not really 4th down, whatever. Okay, If they pick it up, if they get 15 yards on their one play, they get to retain possession of the football. Where? I believe they get it wherever the play ends up, and they just keep going like it's the so start of the drive. if they get a first drive. down, they feasibly have to get to midfield, 50-yard line, because yeah. they start on their own 35, 15 yeah. yards. So they get it on, right at, at worst, the 50 or in opponent's territory? Yeah. Wow. And now, I don't know what the deal, like, what if there's a defensive hold? Is it a replay of it, like a 10-yard defensive penalty? What is that? Do? I don't know. I don't know. You only get one shot. At, like, I hated this rule when I was first, like, looking at it. Then David helped me. He's like, well, it's you only get one shot at this thing in a game. So you have to pick the time that you want to try it if you it's want gotta to. It's got to be any time in the fourth quarter, though? The fourth, Yeah, fourth quarter only. And only once. So that makes it a little bit more palatable. In, this, in the case of a Pro Bowl, I don't really care. That's fine. Here's the thing I don't understand, Coulter. And David, you could help me out on this, too, because you know this. But it used they used to have this, this uh, onside kick where they would pound the ball straight into the ground. And it would bounce up in the air, you know, 
20, 30 feet in the air, but still not go all that far. And there was plenty of time while the ball was in the air for the for the players covering the kick to go rally to the ball. But because it had hit the ground, you couldn't fair catch it because it's technically on a bounce. Now, I don't know if they outlawed that style of kick. I think what they did is they said you actually are allowed now to fair catch that ball. So it sort of undid the what, what, what you were doing there, obviously. If you can fair catch the doggone thing, it doesn't do you any good on an onside kick. But I also don't know, like, so what is it too bad? It's got to bounce twice or something like that, or else you can't get it. David thinks what onside, the best onside kick is just to send a screamer at the fattest guy on the front line. That's what David says, right? That's okay. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> Just, just hammer somebody. But I, 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 I mean, I don't understand why they do the thing. It doesn't work doing this diagonal thing almost ever. I think you try and kick it over that first line of guys and find that soft spot. I realize they have obviously a head start to that. But if that thing starts bouncing around, if you get into a space and hope that the oblong nature of the football makes it harder to pick up. We see guys all the time try and jump on the thing. It squirts out from under them. If you can get it into a space where then you're coming at full speed, even if it's 30 yards from where you kick it from, I think that's good. I still don't understand, though, fully why we can't just pound the thing under the ground and let it go shooting up into the air. But they don't do that anymore. That's the most effective method to me. I think that they just, rather than doing, this feels gimmicky to me. This is why I hate this, like, okay, so now I got to make a... If I get 15 yards on one play, now all of a sudden I can keep the ball. Eh, I don't know. It's it's, uh, it's. I'm not. I'm not quite there with this thing yet. Why not just change the rules of the onside kick and make it more likely that you get it? How would you do that? Well, like I said, if you if could you're shorten the distance to seven yards instead of ten. There you go. That's a good. That's one good way to do it. I mean, here's the thing. A lot of the changes that have made this less effective in terms of your likelihood to get it have been under the umbrella of safety. I I mean, I don't know, man. Maybe. It's... I, I don't see exactly... Like, I mean, I understand what it used to be is you lined up all 10 guys on one side of the field and the front line went and just blasted everybody in their way and the second line came through and tried to dive on the football and you have 21 guys over there scrambling for a football and they're throwing themselves into each other and, and so maybe that melee is too much. So, okay, separate it out, that's fine. But, I, you know, not being able to have the five-yard run-up, so now you're starting basically from a from a dead stop rather than with momentum to get you to your 10 yards quicker. Like David said, you could shorten it to seven yards if you wanted to do something like that. I think you should, I don't understand why you're allowed to fair catch the thing, you know? Now, maybe that's where you really get wrecked when the ball's coming down. Somebody just takes you out. I I, I don't know. It seems a little like you could make onside kicks have a better chance to, to be successful. I just, I guess I don't understand why they are wanting to change this right now or what's the, What's the motivation? Well, why don't they fix overtime first? What do you think the fix is for overtime? Go to college overtime? No. Why? Oh. Why? It's not football. That's why. Okay. Well, the don't have any sudden death is play an extra period. I think they should play an extra period of like seven like minutes. The, like the whole like kind of sudden death. If you score a touchdown, it's sudden death. But if you score a field goal, it's not. But you got to kick a field goal to like maintain the game. I, I, I don't know. It's flawed. It is flawed. I agree with you. College is way more flawed, though. I'm not into the college thing. Here's what I think. Seven minutes 
and 18 seconds, Coulter. We're playing that that duration of a period. If you go and you hold the ball for that long and then kick a field goal to win it at the end, then God bless you. You did it. But if you score quick, if you're the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and you got a touchdown in 95 seconds, well, let's see what happens. Maybe you get two possessions out of it in the second, you know, in the overtime. I'm with you on that thing. Performance enhancement is cheating or it's not. Got to decide. It's not performance enhancement. You're looking at this incorrectly. We will clear this up tomorrow. I don't ever want to talk about it again. (laughs) Have a wonderful Tuesday, boys and girls. Seabones, shout out. Whether you're traveling to Missoula for business, a family visit, or to watch the Grizz game, the Wingate wants to be your home away from home. Call the Wingate to find out how we can take care of your next trip to Missoula. From conference rooms to great complimentary breakfast to an indoor water park, we have what you need and what you want when traveling. The Wingate of Missoula is a proud supporter of Grizzly and Lady Grizz athletics, and we look forward to making you feel at home when you're not. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.